had a dream about this place. I think the the last few years of like Palme, he does a lot of things where I'm I can fully support. I don't know, like you know, he seems to be messing about where he shouldn't be messing about, and it seems like I don't know, you know, if everything that we were pointing at, like hinting at earlier, like his younger years, it's almost as if he felt a bit ashamed about that. I'm not gonna say that he's actually like a you know a knight in a shining armor, but he seems to be doing things where just like why you know don't get involved in this like why are you even bringing attention to this and you know the next step like the next segment right like when we get into south africa for example where where where, where we you know really get into the depths of of what the bufosh scandals were and what the iron contra and like the international you know weapon circuits etc what they are really like about i i don't know i feels like he is really insisting on being uh, problematic which is maybe the best he could ever have hoped to do somehow. Yeah, he could have quite easily gone the Obama route, just yeah. served out his time and then landed himself some speaking engagement fees and yeah. you know, made a yeah, nice yeah, living yeah, yeah. off his autobiography or whatever. Yeah, or just, you know, quote whatever Thatcher and Reagan were saying, right? Like yeah, Thatcher yeah. easily like, you know, dismisses the ANC like, oh it's a terrorist organization. <laughs> <laughs> it doesn't, mm-hmm. you know, like they, they can just be like, you know, just be stiff upper lip, sort of matter of fact, uh, business as usual jargon of like how we are, you know, we don't get involved in violence. <laughs> okay. Yeah. speaking about um, Bufosh uh, and implicated in this uh, for instance when Gene um, uh, Tatum the quote-unquote former uh, CIA uh, agent when he um, uh, spoke about uh, Bush involvement he was uh, talking about uh, uh, how the the contract was uh, uh, given to these um, South African uh, assassins, right? So mm-hmm. the Bofosh lead uh, ties back into what we've been hinting at before and uh, what we have saved for now, uh, that yeah. is the South Africa lead. And it's all, like we could say now, it's like, you know, how it's always darkest before dawn, right? Like now it's going to get a little bit more complex, but then everything's going to sort of become clear. Like things will get complex now and then everything from every episode is going to start to sort of come together. There are no separate leads. (laughs) Not to sound like David Icke or anything, but we're going to connect the dots. All the pieces matter. Yeah. Yes. 
So if we talk a little bit about the South African lead then, and uh, what it is and what it isn't, um, the Palme investigation uh, attracted considerable attention uh, at the end of uh, September in uh, 1996, so 10 years after uh, the murder, mm-hmm. after a police, kern, uh, a police officer um, Eugene de Kock uh, testified before a Pretoria court uh, about his involvement in the crimes uh, during the apartheid regime uh, and mentioning in passing that a certain Craig Williamson had organized the murder of Olaf Palme as a part of uh, Operation Longreach. Uh, about this is which the he- Truth Commission, right? I think it's called or something. Yes, this is uh, yeah, during yeah, yeah. The, the Truth Commission uh, before the Supreme Court uh, mm. in, uh, in South Africa. Um, and he claimed to have first-hand information uh, about this. When he testified in Supreme Court uh, in Pretoria uh, that Olaf Palme, uh, quote, strongly opposed the apartheid regime uh, and Sweden made substantial contributions to the ANC, uh, end of quote, um, is, uh, he uh, referred to that this was um, uh, the reason why Olaf Palme was uh, assassinated. And he named uh, the aforementioned Craig Williamson as the recruiter um, yeah. uh, for this uh, mission. And this isn't him just, you know, he isn't just spitballing here because, I mean... A major reason for, like, you know, why there was so much hatred among the right wing, you know, right wing security organizations and private intelligence uh, companies uh, connected to the apartheid regime, you know, why they had so much hatred towards Sweden and Palme in particular. This was like, you know, allegedly Sweden had managed to funnel roughly one billion US dollars to various freedom fighting groups such as the ANC, right? Like that's the social democratic militant uh, party in the in South Africa. And, uh, you know, this was, I mean, we say the social democratic party or organization, but according to, you know, the Thatcher-Regan hegemony at the time, this was labeled already as a terrorist organization. And so according to Alan Bosak, uh, maybe I'm mispronouncing that name, but um, who was a militant organizer of the black churches in South Africa, and Dali Tambo, uh, son of the president of the African National Congress, the ANC. Um, he was president from 67 to 91, and this is his son then. Well, both, uh, you know, both of these very central figures in the anti-apartheid revolution, well, they said that you know, in the in the in the highest likelihood, no other Western country contributed as much covert military assistance uh, to that revolution as much did Sweden. Comes back to um, Sweden is everybody's friend. Yeah, yeah. yeah. <laughs> it would seem like all. it. Yeah, I mean, uh, again, like you know, saying like you know, here kind of you know, gotta hand it to Palme, mm-hmm, like you know, because mm-hmm. fucking nice to imagine that he you know sent a billion dollars. Uh, to South Africa that ended up as Kalashnikovs pointing at the security guards of, you know, Elon Musk's family. Uh, oh, yeah. It's, it's, yeah. it's a beautiful nice. image to have in your mind. 
the right-wing reaction uh, against uh, the ANC uh, had involved uh, uh, well like uh, documented uh, bombings and assassinations uh, that they um, have taken credit for and that uh, we know that they did yeah and and they um, did this in like uh, yeah uh, Paris not London only... Stockholm like it's not only like limited exactly. to Africa and it's, exactly. it's it's throughout the 80s and like or even yeah. the 90s and even post you know apartheid you still see assassinations of the ANC like you know of ANC people being assassinated uh, yeah this like, sort of comes to the thing I was mentioning earlier um, off mic about how there are certain allied regimes of the west like Britain and America especially who are given leeway to conduct themselves like inside those countries they're given so much more leeway than any other mm-hmm. country would be israel would be a good example of it now you know back then yeah. in south africa we don't need to get too exhaustively into all of this but um there is also another Olaf palme south africa britain connection because boss the south african intelligence uh, agency sponsored like a string of burglaries of ANC activists and anti-apartheid campaigners in Britain as well. Um, so this is, yeah, it's a, it's a part of a long established pattern where South Africa is allowed to behave basically as it wants, you know, um, mm-hmm. and they keep being protected. Yeah. If we have, yeah. you know, like Sabe, Sabe's going to go through more of Craig Williamson, but I know mm-hmm. we have like him on record saying something like, I did the dirty work of South Africa and South Africa did the dirty work of the Western powers, basically. Yep. yep. That was their role. Yep. <laughs> yeah. So uh, Craig Williamson, um, he was recruited in uh, the early 1970s uh, into South Africa's security police uh, and became involved in several attacks, uh, both in South Africa and abroad, uh, against leading members of the ANC. Uh, in '85, he joined the military intelligence service and worked in a number of private companies um, or fronts, um, including uh, Long Reach Limited. Uh, that's that's a such co- an ominous name. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I was going to say, great name for for a private <laughs> intelligence op. Yeah, uh, as a cover for uh, various uh, uh, shadowy activities. Uh, among uh, Williamson's business partners, uh, perhaps the most important was uh, Giovanni Mario Ricci. Just like you know the 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 the, the quote unquote ex CIA spy. This guy, he's got some great looks as well. Like <laughs> yeah. he looks more like a like a playboy than than, than, a, than a spy. But yeah, yeah. We, we should definitely yeah. put some of these pictures of these people up yeah. on the Patreon. And uh, and they work together both in Longreach and in a company called GMR after his uh, initials. Uh, and uh, Williamson was appointed as uh, at uh, as the CEO uh, of its uh, South African branch uh, sometime in eighty uh, six. And this uh, Giovanni Mario Ricci uh, was a person with uh, uh, strong links to the P2 Masonic Lodge, um, mm-hmm. who was uh, interesting in the, this context, not only because uh, he, like the uh, CIA director at the time, William Casey, was a member of the, uh, uh, of the Knights of Malta, um, and uh, was with this involvement in the long reach uh, operation. 
Um, he, he operated out of the Seychelles, right? Which is like that small island group outside of India. If like southwest is almost on the like halfway to Africa, right? Yeah, so and if you go, if you islands. Google him, he looks like a guy that's operating out of the Seychelles. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, most definitely. I mean, this is like an early, I don't know, a theory in its early works for me. But I'm thinking, you know, you know how like what was that last uh, movie with uh, the guy from the the American uh, The Office? Not uh, Javes, but uh, his uh, American Steve Carell. Carell, yeah. yeah. And you know that. Uh, that movie that was about him, about the Panama Papers. Oh, no, wait, he was in The the Big Short. The Big who Short, was it, yeah. Who was it that played in that film about the, the Panama Papers? Uh, oh, shit. Mm, I haven't seen that one. Oh, uh, okay. Well, well, well. I mean, I'm, I'm, you know, the, the, that movie expressed, you know, sort of a general sentiment that I think everybody has that when the Panama Paper things broke and, like, you know, even before that, we seem to sort of assume that like Jersey and like, you know, Guernsey and, and you know, these uh, Panama and the Seychelles and like all these sort of tax havens that they are only there for, you know, rich clientele who wants to avoid taxes in their own country so that they can buy another yacht or something. Whereas I'm starting to think, you know, that, I mean, this goes back all the way to... Um, like the the Black Eagle Trust Fund, right? Like in the Yamashita Gold, like you know, and what what happened after the Second World War that yeah. they had to sort of dis- distribute, uh, you know, a large enough stock of gold that sort of operated as a as an almost you know parapolitical uh, base for 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 an entire you know shadow currency in a way. Like, yeah, like a reserve fund or some reserve. Yeah, or yeah. yeah. And but I think I think, uh, I think the the Seychelles. There, uh, of course, like a, this tax haven, and it's but it's not only um, that because if we look at the Seychelles and where it's located mm-hmm. uh, in the middle of the um, the Indian Ocean, mm. um, it's en route uh, from South Africa to uh, the Arabian Peninsula or to Karachi in Pakistan, for example, or India. Or for a bit of Singapore, etc. Yeah, exactly. Or the other way around back. So, and we know this with... um, uh, It's like a postmodern pirate uh, harbor. Yeah, with like the arms trades and stuff. So I think it would be like strategical uh, to put uh, a guy in charge there. Mm-hmm. Um, to oversee. No, no, yeah, uh, I mean, that's what I'm thinking because wherever you see these uh, tax haven, you know, banks operate, you also see, you know, loads of these sort of semi-private uh, intelligence uh, uh, firms or whatever, you know, like private dicks, but on, on, a, on a much higher level. Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, not connecting it already to everything we talked about, drugs and everything before, but you know, as much as drugs is a, a sort of shadow currency or a, or a general means of exchange in this uh, parapolitical world, I'm, you know, they, you can't stock, uh, you know, that stuff in, in banks, right? Like there's got to yeah. be more to it, right? And I think yeah. I'm getting the feeling that this is all connected to that world of tax havens. It's not just to buy another yacht, like that's yeah. what I'm yeah. saying. Uh, and uh, tips about uh, South African involvement um, uh, were received by the Palmer investigation 
already during its first month. Um, so it was not only uh, in '96 uh, after the Truth Commission. Uh, so tips had been um, coming to the investigation like uh, directly after the murder. And mm-hmm. for example, Carl Gunnar Beck, who later became the head of the Swedish Civil Defense Association, stated mm-hmm. that he had been in contact with an Englishman who told him that the British intelligence service, MI6, had uh, information about the murder. And this is what you talked about uh, a little bit earlier, Matt. Um, and uh, yeah. They gave him information that South African security agents were behind it and uh, uh, that uh, a Swedish police officer employed by the SAPO, uh, the security police, that he was uh, allegedly involved. Um, And Beck recorded this on a cassette, uh, which he sent to the security police in Uppsala, but no one contacted him until the late summer of 86, when he learned that the posting had been investigated, but had led nowhere. And Beck was then surprised and nobody had been in contact with him and asked for the name of his source. Uh, And it later emerged that the tape had disappeared and thus never reached the police uh, um, Palme unit. Maybe Holmer took it. <laughs> yeah. yeah, a little personal collection of uh, police leader, Africa leader uh, trophies. Yeah, but it's also uh, one one thing that I always like uh, react to in mm. this. Um, like, he gets the tip right mm. that his. Um, uh, from MI6, uh, allegedly, and they say that the uh, uh, security police were involved. Why does he send the tape to the security police? Like, why does yeah, he yeah, go yeah. To, an, right. to, to the media or to another instance? This yeah. is uh, something that, like, um, not only in the Palme case, but, like, in cases like this all over the world, you see, like, uh, they, they really have this uh, trust, right, for the... Yeah, for the um, the state apparatus, I guess. Uh, yeah, to be I mean, like, yeah, the, it's a few bad apples, you know. Yeah, uh, so you just uh, that's Kafka's old uh, theorem, right? Like, you know, the the only divine dimension that exists for a secular person is bureaucracy. Like, we just hope <laughs> that somebody yeah. there is going to take care of it. Uh, yeah. Not but my, <laughs> not on my burden anymore. Yeah. yeah, you can say you've done your bit. You yeah, yeah. followed the rules and did what you should do with the information. Definitely, <laughs> not do do your hail marys and go to yeah. sleep. Yeah, and nor was uh, Craig Williamson an unknown name to the Palmer Group as well. Uh, as early as March in '86, uh, information was received from a very credible source about Williamson's involvement and the existence of a Swedish branch uh, of his um, unit. And this had been confirmed by the chief prosecutor, Solveig Riberdal. Craig Williamson uh, visited Stockholm several times as an undercover spy. Uh, The Social Democratic Party headquarters on Sveavägen, the same uh, uh, road, the same street uh, as uh, where Palme was murdered, and the Sida premises uh, were among the places where he wandered around, posing as a, a, an a exiled opponent uh, uh, of the apartheid right, regime. Right. He, he yeah. infiltrated the ANC at one point, right? Yeah, and this is uh, something that we, I, I think, we touched upon it, like with uh, the US as well, that they did this. Uh, 
in the 60s, right? Uh, mm-hmm. That they infiltrated the like anti-Vietnam movement. Right, so right. they sent like CIA agents to Sweden because Sweden was seen as a haven for people fleeing or like a dad draft, uh, yeah, yeah. Um, draft dodging. Sorry. Mm-hmm. Um, and uh, it was the same then during the apartheid that uh, upon, uh, opponents of the apartheid regime could take like a refuge in Sweden. So he was um, infiltrating that movement uh, within uh, Sweden. And uh, we have, but... um, don't we have at least two eyewitnesses uh, claiming that they basically ran into uh, Craig Williamson on the night or, or the afternoon of, you know, that last famous speech that Palmer has at an ANC meeting in Stockholm. Uh, this is one week before the assassination. And Williamson yes. was not supposed to have been there, but he was there yeah. at that meeting. Yeah, and we have uh, also uh, witnesses uh, regarding this with uh, like the walkie-talkie men and like uh, spooky people around Stockholm during the time of the murder. That uh, some witnesses um, said that they heard people speaking a language that sounded like uh, German, but not quite like it. Mm, right. So it could have been like Afrikaans, yeah. and it, or it could have been like um, uh, Dutch, right? Or Belgian mm. uh, Dutch. Uh, so um, uh, yeah. regarding like the Brabant the Flemish, Flemish and stuff like this. Stuff. Exactly. Um, so because a lot of people, because uh, German sounds a little bit like Swede, uh, Swedish and uh, um, I, I would say that every Swede knows how to like identify uh, German, the German language. Uh, yeah. So they would like um, be able to identify that this is uh, not German, but right. something close. So yeah. that's like uh, also some leads that might point to people speaking in Afrikaans. Williamson um, seems like such a bad infiltrator, though. You know, it's almost like you know he's so big, so fat, like. He's called Craig, guys. Give him a break. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, Yeah, he's doing his best. (laughs) So um, it is also known that uh, Williamson was in Stockholm during the uh, anti-apartheid conference in uh, the 21st and 23rd of February of 86. So like you said, a few days uh, before. Uh, the murder and uh, uh, at this conference uh, Palme strongly condemned the apartheid uh, system um, and uh, Williamson remained in Stockholm on the night of the murder uh, which uh, uh, has also been confirmed by Palme's uh, prosecutor Jan Danielsson uh, and Williamson lived in a guest apartment uh, on Kammakagatan in the center of Stockholm which was uh, owned by the International Police Association uh, IPA okay um, what's that IPA I never heard about that um, National Police Association it's like Interpol but sort of more yeah I think it's some like l- uh, lobby group uh, oh, for okay. like uh, police uh, yeah, worldwide right. or something it's like a yeah. um a, a friendship group i guess it's for police from all over the world to kind of get together get together and <laughs> share it mm. from yeah that's yeah. us though because you know like in, in america <laughs> i know that sort of you know the american league which was supposed to be a sort of uh, veterans association it turned into like a sort of strike breaker and uh, like you know major force during the macarthur era 
which I mean, mm-hmm. obviously, like, you know, because these are the kind of people you're looking for, right? They're, they're retired, they have nothing to do. It's just like, oh, you want to beat up some leftist students uh, protesting? Like, yeah, I have nothing yeah. to live for. I'll do that. Yeah. Yeah. And and on the, this conference, uh, Palme made a, a keynote uh, address, uh, which... Uh, he, um, this had is a um, an anti-apartheid conference. That yes, he and he had the, the statement, and I'm thinking if you want to read it, uh, Matt. Yeah, yeah. So this is 21st February 1986, and this is his address to the Swedish People's Parliament against apartheid in Stockholm. Uh, we'll read the whole thing, but um, he did say this, quote, It is by taking joint responsibility that we can contribute towards abolishing the apartheid system. This system can live on because it gets support from outside. If the support is pulled away and turned into resistance, apartheid cannot endure. If the world decides to abolish apartheid, apartheid will disappear. It's very strident that I'm pointed as well. Again, that's, you know, he's got some nice uh, moments here towards the end of his life. Like, I, I really like that speech. And I, I think, think that that line there is painting a huge target on his back where he says this system can live on because it gets support from the outside. I mean, people in the know will have understood who he was taking a shot at there. Yeah, yeah. that's uh, pretty much the same thing that uh, um, uh, Sankara said, right? Like at the uh, Pan-African meeting before he got made. Mm. Uh, you know, he was talking about like, you know, the the funding, like, where do you see imperialism? And he's like, look at your food table. Uh, yeah. Like, and he, he's talking about, you know, well, you know, where does the money come from, basically? Yeah. Um, so if we move on, then uh, we have another central figure uh, in this Operation Longreach, uh, a guy by the name of uh, Peter Castleton, um, who a day before he was uh, supposed to give his uh, evidence uh, to the Truth Commission uh, was uh, crushed to death by a truck that he was repairing in his garage, uh, <laughs> which is pretty uh, suspicious. Yeah. Completely fine. Kind of reminds me of how... Um, oh, shit. Who was the guy in the Brabant case who died in a bizarre gardening accident and got decapitated or something by a telephone line? It's fucking bizarre. Paul Latinus was found hung, but there was another guy who died in a gardening accident as well, and I'm blanking uh-huh. on the name now. <laughs> yeah. Sounds like you something should... out of that old uh, uh, horror film, Super... No, it's called Super... Not Supernatural. Uh... Like Final Destination. Final Destination, thank <laughs> yeah. you. Final <laughs> Destination, yeah, yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah, because apparently he was like pinned there for, for you know, a long time, this mm-hmm. uh, Castleton. And then, you know, somebody didn't want to... I mean, it's true that you shouldn't maybe pull somebody out, but it, it seemed very strange that the stuff that yeah. I heard people talk a little about. A yeah. little bit too convenient. Really. Yeah, mm-hmm. and he had some uh, information to give as well. So yeah. was, uh, And he had said that, and he was like, you know, sort of, people didn't like him in the old gang of the, of the people, uh, yeah, well, you know, of the old guard of the apartheid uh, private uh, security forces. Yeah. Uh, and um, 
after uh, the Cox, uh, Eugene de Cox's uh, sensational revelation uh, in '96, uh, several perpetrators have been named, uh, such as Anthony White, uh, who was also active in Longreach. Uh, but one that is of uh, particular interest to us is um, a Swede uh, by the name of Bertil Vedin, uh, who was recruited by Williamson in the early '80s uh, to the South African Security Service. So he's like a mercenary type of guy that's uh, he is a swede uh, and but he's um, works for the, the south african uh, intelligence because he's so committed to racism he's <laughs> <laughs> yes i mean he uh, seems to be in have been all over the place right like he, he went to congo yeah. and he go to like either zimbabwe or angola as well i don't know he seems yes. to be have been wherever racists are killing black people he seems to have been there Somehow. Exactly, like and, a um, hellacious form of Tom Judd from the song. Like anywhere you see a black person being oppressed, you'll see me. Yeah, 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 yeah. Tom Judd. That's right. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That, yeah, yeah. But in the inverse. Yeah, and, uh, <laughs> and bo- both of these guys said. Um, um, Anthony White. Uh, he was named as the shooter uh, by Captain Dirk Quotesy, um that named him in the. Uh, in the Truth Commission. Mm-hmm. Um, and Anthony White was an ex-Rhodesian Special Forces operative. Uh, and Bertil Vedin, he was also named as the killer uh, by uh, Peter Castleton, the guy that got uh, crushed uh-huh. to death by the truck. So like during the Truth Commission, the, all of these guys, uh, like all of these uh, spooks or ex-spooks, if you want to uh, believe that, they start like telling on each other. Well, Castleton uh, so- is definitely an ex-spook, right? <laughs> He's the only one yeah, who really he, lives up to it. Yes. <laughs> um, Did he? Was this because Castleton had come to um, feel guilty about what he was doing, or he didn't like the work anymore, or something? Or did he just make some kind of political miscalculation? And I don't it? know. Like uh, because uh, when I Catholic, looked into man. this, like during the <laughs> during the Truth Commission. Um, they got like amnesty, right? To just confess crimes. Yeah. Um, mm-hmm. So, uh, because if if they wouldn't have gotten that, uh, nobody would have um, confessed, right? Mm. But then it's just like all of these weird confessions coming out. So it's really hard to, uh, and I I wouldn't call myself an expert on you know um, South Africa or anything. So I don't really know what to, to make of all of this. Uh, but uh, what we know for sure is that a lot of uh, interesting people uh, get brought up. Uh, and yeah. this Bertil Vedin, who was a Swede, uh, like when we look into him, uh, we will see that he has uh, a lot of interesting connections. I see here that you put down that he died now last year. Yeah, he died last year. All right. Uh, in, yeah. I, uh, I heard that he said, um, you know, in the Stieg Larsen archives, it, he says that he worked... Uh, Bertil Vedin says that he worked for a joint CIA MI6 uh, intelligence bureau called 61. Have you heard about this? Mm. I've heard of 61 mentioned in conjunction with Le Cercle, but uh, yeah. I could not give you any more information than that at this point. Do you know what happened? Yeah. Do you know what happened? Like, I don't know. Like, uh, I mean, yeah, it could be. Honestly, like, you know, because LaRouche comes up in the circle, like, uh, 
it could just be some kind of shit coating thing, you know, or, mm-hmm. or, or, and, you know, and, uh, you know, and a, a spook who, you know, he's seen too much water under the bridge and, mm-hmm. you know, he, uh, just wants to make himself bigger than he is. But I, I was interested in this name because, you know, such a weird name, right? Like to 61, do you know what happened? 1961. Gone. What was it? Right. So, uh, well, this is when uh, Eisenhower does his speech, right, about the military industrial complex. And ah. he says that. Yeah. Which makes sense. You know, I can see why a joint CIA MI6 uh, intelligence bureau would sort of, you know, wink their eye at, at uh, that event or like, you know, that sort of, yeah, when things yeah, they changed. They love that shit. It's insufferable. Yeah. 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 Uh, but so. Back to Vedin, he had a military background and was, of course, uh, ideologically uh, right-wing, uh, uh, very much so. Uh, yeah. He was alleged to have been a um, like a reporter uh, for both uh, SAPO, the security police in Sweden, as well as the Turkish security service, uh, MIT. So he's like um, an asset for them as well. Yes, and yeah. since uh, 1985, uh, he had been living in uh, Cyprus, um, and he uh, described the, the accusation as the assassin of the Palme murder as uh, madness. Uh, but in an article for the newspaper Contra, if you remember this very right-wing uh, um, newspaper in uh, Sweden, uh, that was named after the contrast. Um, uh, connected uh, to the Han, Hans von Hofstein, our good... Yeah, uh, and all of know, these the uh, like Nazis revenge. and everything. Yeah. So, yes, very mm. like... Uh, so, he, he wrote for that uh, newspaper as well. And he wrote in it that um, it was another person besides uh, Palme who was uh, murdered, uh, uh, should have been murdered that evening, uh, namely himself. Um, so... Even though he says that it's madness that he would be the um, the murderer, he like writes an article that uh, <laughs> states yeah. that he, like he was supposed to be murdered as well uh, on the same night. Yeah. Um, uh, the, and this is uh, a quote. So a quote goes like this: uh, The idea was that I would ap- appear uh, as a murderer, but that it would have never been known that I had committed suicide or been killed by accomplices. The reason the plan was not realized was that I never came to Stockholm but stayed in Cyprus. Um, and this uh, is and North post- Cyprus, right? Like that sort of weird. Uh, area of Cyprus mm. which, which isn't ruled by Cyprus but by the Turkish government again exactly like he, and yeah. this goes yeah to that he was involved with the Turkish intelligence mm-hmm. um, so he was potentially tipped off well he was tipped off I, I imagine by yeah. whoever was, was planning supposed to be to a patsy right patsy. yeah according yeah. to him uh, yeah. but maybe this is just uh, like a misdirection from his part yeah uh, mm-hmm. so so we don't know um but he was um heavily associated with this contra uh, newspaper and the editorial team and we should add that and, contra i mean maybe most importantly what contra did was they were the major figure in carrying on the pkk lead after holmer is uh, outed from the official investigation right yes and and also all of this like uh, uh, palme hating articles leading up to the murder in the years before and uh, uh, this Bertil Vedin guy then he was like you you mentioned he was in Congo um, uh, which is 
very odd, you know, being a mercenary in Congo. But he, I also found out that he was uh, um, a mercenary for the U.S. government in Vietnam. Okay. Uh, so he has like a, quite a, um, a prestigious uh, resume. Uh, yes, a diabolical piece of shit. Yeah. I mean, yes. Just yeah. think of it. He, it's like he made a list of the worst causes possible and was like, I'm going to join that. I'm going to join mm-hmm. that. Yeah. yeah, and in um, 1964 to 1965, he was uh, a lieutenant for the UN intelligence service in uh, Cyprus, uh, like the head of operations uh, of the security department of the Swedish uh, Cyprus battalion. Um, uh, so he was there like uh, as some part of peacekeeping force uh, slash uh, um, like intelligence outfit because uh, at the same time another guy uh, Captain uh, Robert Lund uh, he uh, was also in this uh, uh, battalion uh, with Bertil Vedin in Cyprus Uh, and he would later become the head of the Stay Behind network in Sweden in the 90s yeah, I was just about to say that this uh, Bertel within his life story definitely looks like someone who is connected to the stair behinds. I think yeah. again in the in the Stig uh, Larsson archive, he does say that in an interview with uh, with the guy who sort of right. took up uh, Stig's hatchet and continued the investigation, mm-hmm. and you know managed to get an interview with him for the first time in like thirty years. The police never managed to do that, and then this guy, like you know. He was even in the phone book. It seemed like you know. They, they, it seems like the, the the police really didn't make any effort to to <laughs> <laughs> track this guy down. Which yeah. you know, if he was in the stay behind, that makes sense. You know, they wouldn't want to talk to him. Yeah, yeah. And uh, on um, I found uh, this other article from um, uh, the twenty fourth of October, nineteen sixty seven in a newspaper in Sweden that reported that, uh, quote, a delegation of friends of the ultra-conservative California governor Ronald Reagan uh, visited Sweden and that they were received by representatives of the World Anti-Communist League together with Lieutenant Bertil Vedin of the general staff. Um, Not to get us on another tangent... um... I'm sorry I keep breaking in here, but that completely tracks with what is known about the Reagan administration in California at that point in the late 60s. They were consulting with uh, MI6 as well about how to uh, wage a a kind of counterinsurgency because obviously they had the new left and the counterculture that was proliferating across the West Coast. So it doesn't surprise me at all that they were having meetings with World Anti-Communist League figures and people connected to Gladio. I mean, that's essentially the program that they were running at the yeah. time. And we will see the the World Anti-Communist League will pop up uh, later here as oh, well. Oh, yeah. And so um, what was Bertil Vedin general staff of the World Anti-Communist League? He's no, he was general staff. Uh, he was part of the general staff in like the Swedish army at the time oh, okay. because it was before he was uh, like doing this mercenary work, I, yeah. I guess. Yeah, yeah. Um, it doesn't clarify in the newspaper, but this is how I would... Uh, Interesting that they would recruit from the UN though, somehow. 
Yes, and um, he also cultivated contacts with the far right wing of the moderate party. This is the conservative party in Sweden, like the the main uh, right wing party uh, that is like, uh, uh, but the the more right wing elements within this party. And he was a contact to uh, an MP uh, of the name uh, Birger Hagord, Uh, and Birger Hagord. Uh, was a, a Swedish politician uh, of the moderate uh, party uh, and uh, he was like a doctor of philosophy but you know how a lot of these guys they give themselves titles I don't really know if he was actually uh, like a doctor of philosophy um, but uh, anyway so he was the chairman of the youth party uh, of uh, or the youth organization within this moderate party uh-huh. uh, and he was a member of uh, uh, some very interesting uh, organizations uh, amongst other the democratic alliance the baltic committee and the swedish section of the world anti-communist league uh, of which he was a chairman between 1984 and 1988 during the the palme murder uh, and he uh, also wrote for a lot of the anti-communist magazines uh, that were popping up at this time in in sweden um, and we have this bigger hagord uh, this mp um going uh, to conferences uh, in California, uh, for instance, uh, that were held by the the World Anti-Communist League. And wasn't... um, uh, So when you say the youth wing of the moderate party, right? Like, so he is the organ... Was he the sort of the head of, of that youth wing? Because I'm just remembering now that the most militant of all the youth wings of the moderate party was the one stationed in Tabby, where you know the the people from the the the, the coup d'état or the possible coup d'état marines lived, and also our good old friend the Scandia man. And, yeah, uh, uh, which he is, had you know, been the the um, the leader, or so to say, um, like the the chairman of the 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 youth organization of the moderate party. But this was in the late sixties. Uh, Okay. Uh, so it was before, uh, mm. but he had uh, like this same uh, uh, background yeah. where he came from. Um, and then also interestingly enough is that uh, Bertil Vedin, he was also employed uh, for a period uh, for both uh, the defense staff. Uh, this is where he was uh, uh, the lieutenant of the, like the general staff and the defense staff within that. Um, but uh, then in... Uh, 67 he joined uh, Marcus Wallenberg's company uh, Näringslivets Information uh, like a uh, an agency what that was conducting uh, uh, private investigations for Sapo and the defense staff's uh, security department so this was like a private uh, yeah uh, security firm of, he, the, uh, of basically the SAF right like the the one i was mentioning earlier uh, the the secret society, the Swedish secret society of bankers and industrialists. Uh, this was sort of their own private uh, intelligence bureau, basically. Uh, yes, exactly. Um, so he he's very connected. Uh, and uh, lastly, all we can say and bring up about him is um, um, he. Um, 
lived in London for a few years as well. And during his time in London, he worked for a journalist uh, by the name of uh, Brian uh, Crozier. Uh, I think you pronounce it like that. And people that have uh, read about uh, Le Circle mm. uh, knows about this guy because he's also like a spook of spooks. Um, uh, and um, so now we have uh, Batil Vedin, um, like working for uh, uh, one of the main guys within this uh, Le Cercle uh, organization. Um, so this could be the 61 then, the 61 group or unit. E- or... Exactly. Yeah, this yeah. Uh, brings to, uh, and he was also uh, implicated uh, in these break-ins uh, that Matt was mentioning before. Uh, um, for like the ANC um, offices in London, right. he was implicated and uh, stood trial, but he was acquitted. They bombed it later, right? They bombed the ANC headquarters in London. As far I mean, I don't know if these people did it, but the ANC building headquarters yeah, in bombed, London was yeah. bombed. Yeah. Right? Another um, interesting thing with the Battle Vedin is uh, there is a suspicion that he was the one that planted the PKK trail in the first uh, instance because he was a journalist or he worked with a journalist at the uh, Turkish uh, Hurriyet, uh, a magazine, three months before Hans Holmer first went public with his main trail. And this this Turkish magazine had uh, like uh, three months before they brought up the PKK lead. Of course, of course. Fuck. So here, here we actually might have like the the guy that was. Uh, yeah, and he worked for Contra magazine as well later, right? Keeping it alive. And, exactly. Uh, yeah. yeah. Planting the dis disinformation and then tending it, making right. sure it spread. Yeah. Yes. Um, so this is a guy that is very. Uh, like uh, even if he wasn't the shooter or if he wasn't like involved you know i would never have found this guy if it wasn't through the palma murder because you see like right. uh, you know it's like you lift up uh, a rock and you see all of the <laughs> yeah. insects yeah. under you know scurry yeah. away <laughs> uh, yeah him uh, and craig williamson seems to be like it's hard to be a worse kind of person than they are I mean, that, there's like uh, this radio recording, uh, I'm sorry, uh, telephone recording with Craig Williamson where he's just like speaking so casually about how, you know, there is collateral damage of women and children uh, in, you know, for example, like the bombing of the ANC uh, in Lo- uh, headquarters in London. There was also some uh, bombing in, um, in Paris and also in Stockholm. Uh, and he's just like, you know, oh, we were in an ideological war, like... I mean, and it's just like an ideological war for what, man? Like to yeah. to have uh, park benches that said whites only. You're a yeah. fucking idiot. Yeah, like, yeah. It's, it's, like you're so low on the level of ideology, even. You know, it's the so basic, primitive, xenophobic notions that you have of the world that you know motivates you.
and regarding the um, like Craig Williamson, um, he had uh, infiltrated uh, this uh, anti-apartheid organization, the IUEF. Uh, that was based in Geneva uh, and was led by the Swedish Social Democrats. Uh, it was like a, a, a European or international, I think, uh, organization um, of like uh, more social democratic leaning organizations. Uh, and it was led by the, um, the Swedish uh, Social Democrats. And he infiltrated this uh, uh, organization so that when they uh, made contributions to the cause of the ANC, they skimmed the money and it went to the apartheid uh, regime. Um, <laughs> and uh, the, uh, the, the Swedish Democrats that were involved uh, within this uh, organization uh, were uh, Olof Palme, uh, the most famous of them, uh, that was killed uh, on the night of the murder. But we also have uh, uh, Pierre Chorri uh, that was... Uh, uh, pointed out as being an informant of the IB. You know, we talked before about the IB scandal, the Information Bureau. Um, right. uh, yes. And uh, a Mats Hellström, I didn't find anything on him. And another guy that was called Bernd Karlsson. Uh, and Bernd Karlsson was a high up social democrat within the party um, uh, that was also involved in this and he uh, was killed uh, within the Lockerbie bombing um, oh. and there is uh, on record that uh, Craig Williamson said that the Lockerbie bombing uh, you know the one that is blamed on Gaddafi and Libya and was like the reason for the for the war and the right. retaliation right. Uh, that it was actually uh, just an assassination uh, to get Bernd Carlson killed. Yeah, I've heard that before. Yeah, yeah, and I, I, I think this is one of the worst like terrorist acts in Britain, right? Uh, yeah, with yeah. like two hundred dead or something. Yeah, it was fucking um, insane. Luckily. So if this is true and that they like uh, did this, and I think it's very uh, plausible um, that they did, but just the implications, you know, that they would bomb and kill over 200 people uh, to get this guy yeah um, and uh, another like uh, 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 fact that uh, about this band Carlson and uh, uh, because the Lockerbie scandal was 88 right so two years before the Olaf Palme murder and um, he is said to have been uh, at 86 a friend, then, you mean or what, what two years you after yeah, two years after, 88. Yeah. Yeah. Yeah, so um, at a dinner party with friends um, some weeks before the Lockerbie bombing, uh, Bernd Carlson was crying uh, to his friends and saying that he would be killed because he knew too much. Oh, Jesus. Fucking and, hell, that is and, and two weeks after uh, the, the Lockerbie bombing happened. Whoa. And he was blamed on uh, on Gaddafi and like started a, a, a unnecessary war. Mm. Yeah. And I think uh, today, even in the official narrative, a lot of people don't like it's almost accepted that it wasn't Libya, right? Yeah. I mean, I think even, is it the Adam Curtis documentary? You know, I was about to say the Adam yeah. Curtis one. I'm thinking that's, uh, it's got such an eerie ring to it, the Lockerbie bombing, you know, because it goes up all the way, you know, to our age. And I mean, we weren't, you know, 
political age in 88 but i mean the 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 the, the libyan the latest libyan war wasn't that too long ago you know yeah 2011 yeah. i think uh, the, the the last one they ousted gaddafi right yeah yeah but so it's uh, very ominous uh, and uh, like uh, if true the implications are of you know a wider network that you know uh, stops at nothing and we have uh, another informant uh, coming forth uh, within this uh, south africa lead uh, a former military and security agent brian davis uh, who claims to have uh, a lot of first-hand information and he told a radio journalist that it was not for political reasons uh, that uh, palmas uh, example his uh, opposition to the apartheid regime but that the motive was economic and related to international arms smuggling mm-hmm. uh, and according to mr davis um, uh, williamson led the operation and anthony white handled the logistics and they brought in an assass- uh, assassin uh, from turkey that was belonging to the pkk um Mm-hmm. And he also said that it was a clear link to the aforementioned uh, uh, GMR company, uh, the Italian guy, uh, his company, oh, that shit. made a lot of money from the uh, like arms smuggling. But it's, then it's again, so this is like now, man. <laughs> this is crazy. Yeah, what? this is. I mean, we. So you have people who say, you know, Olaf Palme was maybe murdered because of his opposition to apartheid, and then you have. You know, other people say it was the arms trafficking that yes. uh, was the real sort of motivating force. You can kind of split the difference and say that you had these hardcore ideological pro-apartheid uh, spooks and operatives, but they don't get the green light until Olaf Palme starts fucking with the money, as you said right. earlier. Right, and at exactly. That point, then it's all good. Yeah. No, and it's sense. important here to remember that South Africa was a hub uh, for much of the illegal arms trade to Iran uh, within mm-hmm. the Iran Contra uh, and also to Afghanistan and the, uh, like uh, a lot of different wars in Africa at the time. Mm-hmm. Uh, and during the like uh, Iran Iraq war, uh, the arms dealer Carl Eric Smith. Uh, that we mentioned uh, before uh, mm-hmm. supplied Iran with gunpowder from both South African Arms Corps, uh, the company Arms Corps, and Swedish Bofors. Um, so he's in- involved here as well, uh, and uh, it ties into Bofors. Uh, um, but one interesting point uh, that I want to mention as well. Uh, that's like a little bit of a dead end, but it's an, an interesting one, um, is um, a certain uh, Heine Human, uh, uh, Heman, yeah, Heine yeah. Heman, um, a Swede of South African origin, uh, who during the period in question was living uh, near Uppsala, where he had a car repair shop. Uh, 14 minutes after the murder, uh, a couple in uh, Bromma, another city, uh, received a mysterious phone call saying, now it is clear Palme has been shot. Uh, but it was an obvious misdial. Uh, however, it turned out that their phone number was almost identical to the Uppsala number of a clubhouse close to Heman's uh, home in Uppsala. 
Uh, and sometime what? in 88, two years after the murder, he man hurriedly disappeared out of the country without even saying goodbye to his neighbors, who incidentally noted some other strange circumstances surrounding this man, who was then tracked down by a Swedish journalist to Florida, oh, where he lives under a different <laughs> name and perhaps not surprisingly denies any involvement in the murder. I'm just blinking rapidly at my uh, laptop here. I... <laughs> What the fuck? Do you know how I know this is a a Swedish parapolitical story? Is because when when you say he he left without saying goodbye to his neighbors and that seemed odd. (laughs) Over here, nobody would give a shit. We don't talk to our neighbors. Yeah. Yeah. You know how in Sweden, you know, like here in Japan, people always like pull their curtains. like of, of their houses in Sweden it's the other way around people who yeah. pull their curtains they're suspicious as fuck man like that's, yeah, uh, that's have something to hide uh, yeah. Yeah. <laughs> that's lesson one in uh, stay behind school in Sweden do not pull yeah. your curtains when you're yeah, yeah, yeah. there's that a, a couple of junkies live over there or <laughs> yeah. the assets I have a neighbor actually that has his curtains down and I like all of the other neighbors think he's weird. <laughs> so it's a, yeah, if you want to fit in, don't pull down your curtains. But yeah. to Florida um, of all places as well. I mean. Yeah. Uh, but we also have some information about uh, uh, named assassins from the Chilean security service. I'm Dina. telling you there mm-hmm. is a Chile yeah. lead. I've been yeah. saying we're this, in, man. Yeah, we're in Stockholm at the time of the murder. Yeah. Uh, but it's unclear uh, whether the stay in Sweden was connected with the murder. But if so, the evidence pointing to South Africa should not be ignored. It is mm. known that during the period in question, there was a kind of electoral friendship between the security services in Chile and South Africa. For example, the head of Dina, the Dina murder squad, Pedro Espinosa was active in Pretoria between 85 and 87, where he was involved in organizing various types of operations together with his colleagues in South Africa. Pretoria is like one of the big cities outside of Johannesburg, right? Yes, I think so. Uh, And uh, we also have alleged links between Craig Williamson and the professional killer Michael Townley, a former Dina agent, who told a police interview that he himself had received the order to kill Palme in Madrid as early as 75. This is the one I mentioned before. Um, We've discussed Michael Townley on the show before, I think during the Casino series. Um, So anybody listening to this, go back to listen to that. Isn't Townley, this is the guy with the many names, right? Isn't it? There's a fun uh, conspiracy theory about him, um, the name Michael Townley, uh, because he was connected to so many different shady operations in the 70s and 80s. And I've seen the more paranoid elements of uh, Twitter say that the main character, well, one of the main characters of Grand Theft Auto V was called Michael Townley so oh. that it would fuck up the Google search. Uh, <laughs> so you oh, couldn't wow. dig into this guy. It's a yeah. fun theory. <laughs> yeah, yeah. 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 Now, this guy is so weird, right? Like, they even thought he killed Pablo Neruda, right? Like, he's involved in everything. Yeah. 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 He's one of those middlemen that we talk about a lot, you know. He seems to be everywhere. 
Yeah, this but is so definitely the guy four, with the many names. Yeah. Yeah. So for a foreign group, uh, like or a command group, to be able to carry out uh, an operation in a foreign country, um, they would need uh, strong local support um, right. from people with go- good local uh, knowledge and uh, responsible for logistic re- uh, reconnaissance, surveillance, and uh, elimination of traces. Right. Uh, yeah, so this is where we see it- Bertil coming in somehow. Right. Yeah, because like um, if we buy that it is South Africa, they would need to have uh, some connections within the like the sweet Swedish state apparatus, right? Yeah. Um, so several commentators uh, have seen a link between the South Africa track or the South Africa lead and the police lead. Uh, and one of those is Shell Olof Felt, that was a former finance minister uh, within yeah. Palmer's government, so n- yeah. not just anybody. Uh, and he wrote in a newspaper column that the uh, uh, police lead has changed its name to the South Africa lead, and they are the one and the same. Um, the speculation about its ramifications within the Swedish police force are still there, uh, rather with greater uh, relevance than before, because yeah. the Olof like uh, he was the one who brought attention to that book that me and uh, you know when, when you were away, when me and Matt were going through the police lead, and we were talking about inside the labyrinth. I mean, that's still a sort of very obscure book. Like it was only like, you know, 2000 copies made in the first edition. And only now, like last year or something, they made another edition. But it was due to Shalul of Felt that that became sort of a, a known, you know, book. And like, you know, the people sort of, because they expand, they were like, you know, even more thorough than the official parliamentary investigation to the parliament investigation, right? They're the yeah. official commission, uh, you know, um, and so, uh, I mean, yeah, he seemed to have, Shalula Felt seemed to have taken a sort of 180 turn here and sort of like really started to question his own party or like at least, you know, his own state, right? Like his own nation state. Like, you know. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I think uh, there are points uh, to that uh, for yeah. sure. Uh, and the connection uh, with the police lead uh, is also based on the fact that at least six police officers from the Normalm police force had made private trips to yeah. South Africa yeah. in the mid-80s. <laughs> and this prompted an internal investigation, the so-called uh, Normalm investigation, we, which was also to examine the issue of right-wing extremism within the police force with a particular focus on the Normalm uh, police. Mm. Uh, and the police officers in question, uh, and they were invited to South Africa by the uh, IPA, uh, this um, in, International Police Association, uh, at the time when most international organizations were boycotting uh, South Africa. And in October in 96, uh, some investigative journalists tried to get hold of the IPA's guests book. Uh, guest books uh, for the period in question uh, but unfortunately it turned out that they had all been destroyed mm-hmm. uh, the only ledgers that remained were from the period after 89 S- sounds uh, like some uh, nazi ryanair charter thing <laughs> like the ipa you know, just, uh, <laughs> going into margaritaville in south africa like all this 
retired police officers. Well, these yes. aren't retired, right? The Swedish ones, but yeah. Yes, and in in the same um, um, at the same time uh, in October '96, uh, the newspaper uh, Expressen uh, presented pictures of no less than ten police officers who had visited South Africa, in addition to arms dealers and former police officer Östling that we mentioned before. Yeah. Uh, so here we have like police officers together with the arms dealer uh, going to South Africa, and it begs the question: What are they doing there? Yeah. yeah. What, what What are they learning there? Yeah. You know how I said that, like you know, you should never trust anybody whose name is Carl Gustav, right? Like Östling's first name is Carl Gustav, right? And and yeah. also yeah. C. G. Jung, right? But isn't it? Uh, I think also that one of the most famous guns that. Uh, uh, Bufosh ever sold was also called Carl Gustav. I think it appears in yeah. one of the Transformer movies when they're like, load the Gustav or something. Wow. <laughs> yeah. yeah, and this, this, it's the gun now that they're uh, donating to um, in the Ukraine. Uh, oh, really? Yeah, they're oh, donating oh. the Carl Gustav there. Um, <laughs> oh, but but we, this also brings us to the the Ebbe Karlsson affair, you know, the Ebbe Karlsson, the propaganda guy that was working with Holmer. With yeah, the who, li- who lived with him, right? Yeah, who, yeah, yeah. Who died of uh, AIDS. No. Uh, exactly. Uh. Uh, when he... Um, um, he also had the connections to, uh, to Östling. And when Östling brought in the equipment that was uh, a part of this, uh, like the... Uh, the surveillance equipment right. uh, that was yeah, uh, like uh, yeah, yeah. Uh, it was um, uh, confirmed that uh, uh, Östling had named the South African uh, uh, legation uh, in Stockholm as the the buyer of the equipment. So he like bought them in South African with South African uh, names, like of companies and stuff. Seems so um, sloppy. I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, <laughs> it's such a sloppy, covert, yeah. like covert operation. And and what I want to end this like South African because we have like so many we could walk you through a lot uh, of uh, of uh, details and yeah. stuff, but it would uh, be really exhaustive and uh, it's so tangled. Uh, but I want to end uh, with that uh, in 2010, uh, Tommy Lindström, uh, the former director of the Swedish Police Service, uh, Rikskriminalpolisen, uh, said that he was certain that the South African government's complicity. Uh, complicity uh, in the Palms murder uh, and um, um, so he is uh, like going on official record saying that uh, yeah. he believes that South Africa was involved in in the murder yeah and I, th- I think Christ. again like uh, yeah I mean when we say South Africa like I, I really think you know Seba you were saying this that we, we did a good job by not starting off with a South Africa lead, like sort of rather leading up to it. And this is the point where we're at right now. Uh, because like, you know, if you start off with it, it seems so, you know, it's even worse than the walkie-talkie people. Because it's like, why would a South Africa do something to Sweden? Like, you know, they're on the other mm-hmm. side of the company. I mean, log- logistically, it makes sense because they're on the exact same, like, you know, time line right like i mean you could make direct calls but but you know in a, in a more serious you know context it's not just a south africa lead like you know it's back to what craig williamson said you know that south i did the dirty work for south africa south africa 
you know, existed as a nation to do the dirty work of the other Western powers. I mean, how else can you explain that the apartheid lived on for so long yes. as it did? You know? And, yeah, and yeah. he also mentions within that book, uh, Marcus, uh, uh, Craig Williamson, he goes yeah. um, on record saying that the Western powers needed uh, South Africa yeah. to smuggle weapons behind the Iron Curtain. Right. Um, and when the uh, the Berlin Wall fell and when like um, uh, the Soviet uh, Union collapsed, mm. uh, they didn't have any uh, more use uh, for South Africa. Right. And in just a few years after, uh, apartheid ended. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Now we've been going through this like uh, South African lead, uh, what we have to do is to connect it or like to anchor it somehow uh, to um, the uh, more uh, uh, like base uh, level uh, within Sweden, right? Uh, because we mentioned uh, that an operation, if you buy something like an international conspiracy, um you need to have uh, people on the ground, boots on the ground uh, within the country uh, where you're performing the, the operation, right? Um, and one uh, organization that we mentioned a little bit uh, earlier and that is often mentioned within this context is the um, World Anti-Communist League, uh, which started in the 1960s uh, with uh, Taiwan and South Korea as the leading forces. Um, and in the 70s, after persistently supporting the U.S. warfare in Vietnam, uh, several groups were formed, uh, mainly among exiled uh, Eastern Europeans and Latin Americans. Um, uh, one of the member organization is the successor to the Croatian Ustasha, mm-hmm. uh, w- which you remember was uh, mentioned by Lisbeth Palme uh, during the night of the murder in the hospital uh, at Sabatsberg uh, um, as the perpetrators, uh, because she stated in the beginning that she had seen two perpetrators uh, and that she was uh, worried about uh, um, Ustasha and that uh, um, that Palme, uh, Olaf Palme, was also like afraid of them because of some um, uh, history that they had uh, that I won't go into in depth here. Uh, 
but they had this fear uh, that uh, like the first instinct of Lisbeth Palme was that it was the Ustasha uh, that was uh, behind the murder. Uh, And they were uh, a member of the uh, World Anti-Communist League. Um, And uh, uh, in the... uh, the US, uh, the politician Alan Cranston had received a letter from an inmate in a California prison uh, that stated that the World Anti-Communist League had planned the assassination of the Swedish Prime Minister. Uh, Cranston forwarded this letter via the US State Department to the Swedish Embassy in Washington, but it disappeared without a trace and never arrived uh, at the Palme investigation. Um, uh, the World Anti-Communist League was also represented in Stockholm uh, in a building owned by the Baltic Association uh, that I mentioned before. Um, and uh, in this building was also uh, where the uh, IPA, the International Police Association, had its premises. So they're in the same building. Um, we have them. Um, here Um, and some of the police officers who appear in the police trail are also said to have had close ties to the World Anti-Communist League including the the teacher of psychology uh, at the police academy um, that was a chairman of the uh, Sweden South Africa Association in the 80s Um, uh, and another uh, organization is the Democratic Alliance, uh, Democratic Alliance, uh, which was formed in 1967 uh, as an offshoot uh, of the Committee for a Free Asia uh, um, that was um, um, very like involved with the, with the World Anti-Communist League and seen as a a predecessor i think it is uh, that it was formed before and then it changed its name uh, and one of the central figures here is, is uh, uh, one uh, anders larsson who was the secretary and he was a central figure in the swedish post-war extreme right uh, who in addition to uh, his involvement in the committee for a free asia eller uh, kommittén för fritt asien Uh, in Swedish, uh, was um, active also in the Baltic Committee uh, and in the far-right network of the World Anti-Communist League. And we have links between uh, Bertil Vedin and Anders Larsson uh, that had known each other uh, for a long time uh, when they were both active uh, within Democratic Alliance and uh, the World Anti-Communist League, uh, as well as having friends within the Contra newspaper. Um, Anders Larsson uh, is also a very important character within the uh, the murder uh, or the the investigation of the murder because uh, he actually sent a letter to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs stating that Palme would be assassinated six days before Olof Palme's assassination. Um, And uh, the Democratic Alliance also included a group of uh, right-wing police officers uh, that were involved in this uh, police lead. Uh, So they are all here uh, in the same uh, 
circles uh, around this uh, democratic alliance uh, that is uh, like a a member organization within the larger body of uh, World Anti-Communist League. Um, And uh, this letter that uh, Anders Larsson sent uh, to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs, it's um, like a a curious... uh, thing in itself that why would he send a letter to the Ministry of Foreign Affairs of all places so there's a lot of uh, uh, within Palme lore uh, about this letter and what the intent was and uh, uh, stuff like this if it was uh, uh, that he actually knew uh, about the murder and that he regretted it and sent in the the letter to to warn Palme, or if it was some sort of alibi uh, to not implicate himself uh, within the murder. Um, and within the uh, mid 1970s, a large part of the Swedish World Anti Communist League section uh, that was a part of this Democratic Alliance um, uh, had. Uh, been going on uh, uh, several trips and had international contacts uh, within um, the countries of South Vietnam, South Korea, Paraguay, Philippines and Taiwan. So all of these uh, um, nations uh, that were like military dictatorships uh, at the time. Um, And according to a source in uh, the Marxist uh, newspaper Proletaren, uh, one of the policemen, uh, Ante Afsan, he was involved uh, in the Baltic Free Committee, uh, um, which aimed to liberate Estonia, Latvia and Lithuania from the Soviet Union. And that was also a part of this uh, broader World Anti-Communist League. so we see then uh, within this uh, South Africa lead with uh, uh, the connection of uh, Bertil Vedin, for instance, that uh, we have uh, uh, connections to people within the movement, uh, uh, like the far right movement uh, at the time in Sweden that could have uh, acted as uh, informants or um uh, giving uh, information uh, uh, before and during the the murder, um, and another person of interest is a former mercenary uh, by the name of Ivan von Birchan, uh, who raised an alarm uh, that an attack on Palme was imminent. So he, along with uh, this Anders Larsson, uh, both of them had actually been giving warnings that Palme was about to be murdered. Uh, and he claimed that he had been offered $2 million uh, by the CIA to assassinate Olaf Palme. And he declined this offer a week before the assassination um, and went to the Social Democratic Socialist councillor Ingrid Bovner uh, with the information who sent him on to a police commissioner who in turn passed the information. I think we, we touched upon Ivan before. This mm-hmm. is the guy who worked as a front, right? At, that, uh, or who was in connection with Victor Gunnarsson and another third party who worked for that uh, front organization that was in Chile, the CIA front organization, right? Exactly. And here yeah. we have a connection back to the 33-year-old. 
Um, so we have um, the the 33 year old and uh, the LaRouche movement uh, coming back again uh, to implicate him not only as uh, um, a suspect that we mentioned as before, but also like maybe he was a part of this uh, broader um, uh, movement uh, right. and some of the patsies uh, that or that we might suspect uh, that they were supposed to be patsies, that they were um, involved uh, at some low level uh, within this, uh, because they all like orbit around the Sveavägen at the time of the murder uh, and around like these uh, this same groups, right? Right. Um, and that begs the question then to like, who would have uh, organized this on a, on a managerial level. Because on their own, these passes seem sort of, you know, unhinged. Like, yeah. you know. I think, you know, uh, you know, this comes back somehow, like, you know, this involves Christa Pettersson, the Scandia man, and the 33-year-old. Like, it's something you said really early on in, like, your, on your show, uh, Matt, like, and you did touch upon it again in your uh, episode about the police, where you said, you know, that uh, you had a suspicion that, uh, the, you know, that uh, that Netflix series uh, Mindhunter, right? Uh, oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Like how it, it's probably cancelled because it's pointing towards uh, some inefficiencies of the sort of psychological profiling of the FBI. Yeah. And, I, and I kind of agree with this, but I would also sort of turn it around and elaborate upon that and say that, you know, what if you know, the psychological profiling does work, but not in the retro aspect, you know, way that they suggest that it works, but rather, you know, if you want to find the perfect patsy, this yeah. is the perfect sort of profile to go by. You know, we know how the CIA have a, an ambition to find, you know, the perfect maturing candidate, you know, the program to kill, uh, you know, maniac, but you would then also need a sort of, you know, a system by, you know, which you find patsies, right? Mm -hmm. And it's said that the Scandiaman, for example, did, does fit this perfectly. Like, you know, this, the FBI was, I think, at one point involved in the Palme investigation and they did, you know, according to their profiling, you know, this infamous profiling, he was the sort of perfect patsy. And it, it make, makes sense then, you know, that they would have, uh, you know, that it's not all, you know, just like MK Ultra wasn't really shut down, you know, like it's not all bullshit. It's just that they sort of, yeah, I, 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 it's a difficult one to bring up. Like, but how else can we explain, you know, that that it seems that every single, you know, high-profile political assassination in the U.S. have also sort of fitted the uh, this profiling. I think there is only two officially that weren't, you know that sort of deviated from this profiling. And that is, you know, on, on, on the more generic general media level, of course, that is brought back to us as, you know, the proof of the success of identifying lone, you know... Lone wolf, wolf crazies. Yeah, yeah, right. But, so what you're saying is there, there is actually a kind of sorting system in place that selects for these guys. It, the, the people who organize these things keep tabs on various extremist movements and social groups and whatnot. And then they serve as a farm system for. Yeah. And yeah. that begs the question, 
what type of uh, organization would have the the um, the resources to do this right and i guess we're talking here now about aladon or swedish gladio 